Lord Jesus, we come before you, God, and we declare that the Lord is the source of all my righteousness and all my strength. Lord, I'm going to get up here and tell some funny stories, I hope, and we're going to read your word, and God, I just pray that you'll change our lives forever because of your word, because I can't save anybody, and being here and just being entertained is a big waste of time. So, Lord, I pray that you'll be with us in these moments and you will be glorified alone. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. <sighs> well, this was not part of the plan. Um, I know you're shocked by that. Um, if I had a walkout song, it, of course, would have been You Give Love a Bad Name by Bon Jovi. Um, last week, Kenny said... He said, so you're supposed to speak next on the day we leave for camp. And I said, yep, because um, I felt like God had kind of given me a message about four weeks ago, and I really thought I had outsmarted him because I had looked at the calendar. And I didn't think really that Kenny or Keith had, and so I was safe. I wasn't going to have to talk about dating. So when Kenny said, um, so you're supposed to speak the day we go to camp, he said, um, do you want to speak next week? And I said, well, is it going to be on dating still? And he said, yeah. And I said, then nope, I do not. I do not want to talk about dating. So um, I was like, no, thank you anyway. So he said, well, the Lord has spoken, and you are speaking next week. And I went, well, that's great. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Um, so I couldn't outsmart him with the time-space continuum as if somehow he bowed to the calendar where I had penciled in the date to speak. So I just figured, uh, I borrowed Steve's stand over here and forgot to tell him, um, but I just figured I'd go ahead, you know, everybody's got a label. Some of you were like me in high school, you probably read a book that involved a scarlet letter. So I'm just gonna wear my singleness scarlet letter because, you know, really when, you're, when you are 38 and single and never been married, um, you sort of feel like you're part of a freak show circus all the time. You know, like somebody invites you to the freak show, and, you know, and they're like, over here in this cage, we have a 38-year-old single woman. Get your children back. Don't touch her. You might catch it. You know, because singleness and stuff are um, contagious. You can get it. So that's really not true, so feel free to shake hands or whatever. You know that I have a joke for everything, obviously. But there's one question that when I am asked, my mind just goes completely black. It's just a dark black hole. Um, and I know you will be shocked by this. But of course, it is the question, why are you not married? You know, after I regain my composure and I don't want to punch them in the throat. So some of you think you're funny when I stand up here and I say things and like you meet me after the service and you're like, okay, you, know, you want to go to lunch, you know, whatever. So come up to me after this is over and say, why are you not married? Okay, I'm going to hit you so hard you're going to cry. I'm not even kidding, okay? So I thought about that guy. Who was that coach who gave that big speech and he said, come after me. I'm a man. I'm 40. I'm like, ask me that question one more time. Um, but it really, it, I don't know why it's so hard 
I don't know, just because probably every single Disney movie ever made has to do with getting married ever, forever. That's the only thing they ever talk about. But here's what I want to know from you. So this is just honesty on my part, I suppose. <laughs> Get ready. So tell me for real, like you have to speak out loud. When you were growing up, whether or not you were in church doesn't matter, because even if you're not in church, somehow along the way you hear biblical stories, you just may not realize that's where they came from. So when you were growing up, what were some of the stories you heard, some of the miraculous, big event kind of stories in Scripture that you knew you heard about growing up? Noah's Ark. Yep. What else? Christmas. What? Esther. All right. Jonah. Who? King Solomon. Okay. What else? Anything else? Huge and miraculous. What? Samson, yep. David and Goliath, yep. Okay, everything that David did as king. All right, you went to a different elementary school than I did. But nonetheless, uh, okay, well, that's good too. So I don't know, I, well, the honest truth is all of those for me, Moses part in the Red Sea, um, there's a story, there's a really really interesting story in Numbers chapter 16 about a man named uh, Korah who decided to go against Moses and start stirring up a bunch of trouble. And so God just opened up the earth and swallowed him whole and then just closed the earth right back over top of him. I mean, it was just the most, like, out, I mean, it's in the Bible. It's Numbers chapter 16. You should read it. Like, it's a really, really interesting story. And this, you're going to think I'm making this up, but I promise this is true. The hardest story for me to believe, even up into four weeks ago, has always been the story of Joseph. That's always been the hardest story for me to just say, God, if you can do that for him, you can do that for me. And I, maybe it's because from Joseph's perspective, it was just every day. You know, there wasn't really, at a moment, a huge miraculous event. It was just his life. His, the entirety of his life was the big miraculous event, so to speak. But that's always, to, to think that God really had that much concern or that much input or that much effect on my entire life just somehow blew my mind. Like, I, that was just... That was harder to believe than Moses, you know, standing there in the Red Sea part and then walking across on dry land. I don't know why. So when I was growing up in I, maybe senior high school or such, some of you who are my age, I hope to goodness you suffered through this as much as I did. It seemed like every youth rally, D-NOW, camp, whatever, it revolved around true love weights. Anybody ever heard about true love weights? Nobody? Okay. Okay. Yes. A few people. Thank you. So true love waits. Do I need to explain that to you? You're tracking with me? True, don't say yes. Okay. Keith can explain it to you later. True love waits for marriage. So we're not going to be having any sex. We're not going to be doing anything like that until we get married. True love waits. Now, let me show you how spiritual and religious, I, I'm not even religious, just, you know, connected with God, we'll say I was when I was, oh, I don't know, 17. So we have our big D-Now weekend and they have the little commitment cards. I will wait until I'm married to have sex. Don't say it out loud. It's, can't talk about it in church. So I signed my card 
in my mind. I remember, I can remember the color dress I was wearing that day, okay? I signed my card and I thought to myself, well, I'm going to get married when I'm 23. So that's not that long to wait. So uh, I guess I can pull this off. Love you, God. You know, throw it in the offering plate. You know, whatever. Okay, that was, and then God's making a big joke of it. He's like, (laughs) that was funny. Um, But I remember that. I remember being at a Beth Moore conference back when Beth Moore was just a nobody. There was like 200 of us there, not 20,000. And then hearing another lady, I wish I could remember her name, but they had these little breakout kind of session things. And I don't even remember what she was talking about. But I remember her saying to us crowd of women, she said, okay, I need you to tell me some of the pet names that your husbands call you. You know, what do they call you when you're at home? And she said, come on. She said, I don't have one. I don't, there's nobody for me at home. So tell me, what do your husbands call you? I don't know these things. And I remember that day thinking, oh, God, please don't make me like her. And then I had a friend, a dear friend. She's still a friend of mine. Later on, this was in college. Um, her name's Amy. And this is the best of all. Y'all, you can't make this up, for real. So she was, um, I was finishing up college right out after college. She was late 30s, and she was the pastor's assistant, and she's a single woman. And I can remember thinking, God, I'm going to marry a youth minister and have three kids, or four kids, um, two boys, a girl, and then another boy. So I don't want to be a single woman as a pastor's assistant. Okay, that's not part of my plan. (laughs) Just FYI. Not that I would ever do that now. Um, Yeah, so... God has a real, God and I have a very interesting relationship. It's almost like every time I tell him I won't do something, he's like, we'll see about that. So when I don't, maybe this is just me. I don't think it is. But I think for, especially for girls, part of the problem with not being married, not having a boyfriend, not having that person is this idea of value, that you don't have value if somebody didn't pick you to be their forever partner, that you're not chosen. It's like being picked for a team. You know, you ever divide up teams and the last one picks, like, well, they didn't pick me for, I didn't get picked. You know, this kind of thing, this, this idea of being cared for enough that somebody wanted you to come along with them. And I think that's the deception that the enemy uses against us because our value is not wrapped up in that. And the enemy wants to deceive us, and he wants you to, distract, to distract you from what God has for your life truly. And he wants to distract you from what will truly be fulfilling in your life. And it's not always a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or a job or a car or whatever. And you know that to a degree. But I thought about, so we don't want to get married just for the sake of being married. That's really not what any of this these past few weeks has been about. And we don't want to just fulfill what culture tells us we need to do. So, so what is the answer? If we're not going to be like culture, if we're not going to be, you know, we don't want to get married just for the sake of getting married. If, that's, if I want to really do what God's called me to do, I thought about this church, and I thought about how we're a little different anyway. You know, we spit pickles across the floor, for example. That's a little, there's not a lot of churches doing that, not just here in town, but, I mean, like anywhere ever. But... I thought about what if we really, really decided to take, to take this book serious, 
Like we didn't just say, okay, God, you can have all of my dedication and all of who I am in this area, but over here, all I really need is your stamp of approval because I've got this part worked out. So I'm good here. God, you take control of this, and I'm sure it will all work out. But what if we, what if it really is the entire thing, the way you dress, who you date, what job you have, what if it really is a heart issue at the root and really about how you're going to follow Christ? And so I've been, um, it was really about four weeks ago that just in my, my time in the Word, uh, I, do, I try to do this Bible that has, it's a, a Bible, through the Bible in a year plan. Um, I'm working on that year part, but it may take me a little longer than that. But the really cool thing about it is that there's always an Old Testament passage. There's always a New Testament passage. There's a psalm and a proverb. Now, I'm not telling you that your Bible study, if you're doing one, is bad or wrong or anything like that. I am telling you, however, that I think there's great value in really reading the Bible more than you read just someone else's words about the Bible. So that works for me. This little Bible study works for me. And it is amazing to me how many times those two seemingly random passages in Scripture, in Old Testament Scripture and New Testament Scripture, will match up. And that's kind of what happened for me a couple of weeks ago. And so I was reading in um, Isaiah 45. That's where we're going to start is in Isaiah 45. And Kenny's been talking about Joseph and Jacob, and this passage actually talks about Jacob and God, how God's going to start fulfilling his plan to Jacob to make him, um, his, his descendants so numerous and how he's going to take care of him. And when, when the people of Israel, when Jacob's descendants, when they were turned towards God, when they were doing the right thing, they were making the right choices, great things happened. And then when they had a king that turned them away, um, consequences came with that too. And so they were carried off into slavery by a, a country called Babylon. Or, um, and when, when they turned back to God, then God was going to make a way for them to be free. And he was going to make a way for them to go back home. And part of doing all that was that he was going to raise up a, a, a conqueror, I guess you'd call him. I don't know what his real title was, but his name was Cyrus. And he was going to be the one to lead a group to come and defeat the Babylonians, and they were going to set the Israelites free to go back home and worship the Lord. I hope all that makes sense. If it doesn't, start at Isaiah chapter 1, read your way to 45. It'll be clear as mud. So we're going to start in Isaiah 45 in chapter 4. And the Lord is speaking about how he's going to use Cyrus. Cyrus was somebody who didn't worship the Lord. He was, for all intents and purposes, lost. But God still chose to use him to be the tool to set the Israelites free. And so it says, and why have I called you, talking about Cyrus, for this work? Why did I call you by name when you did not know me? It's for the sake of Jacob, my servant, Israel's chosen one. I am the Lord. There is no other God. I've equipped you for battle, though you don't even know me. So all the world from east to west will know there is no other God. I am the Lord, there is no other. I create the light, I make the darkness, I send good times and bad times. I, the Lord, am the one who does these things. Open up, O heavens, and pour out your righteousness. Let the earth open wide so salvation and righteousness can sprout up together. 
I, the Lord, created them. And then this is where God just kind of wrecked my life. It says in verse 9, it says, What sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does a clay dispute with, one, with the one who shapes it, saying, Stop, you're doing it wrong. Does a pot exclaim, How clumsy can you be? How terrible it would be if a newborn baby said to his father, Why was I born? Or if it said to his mother, Why did you make me this way? This is what the Lord says, The Holy One of Israel and your Creator. Do you question what I do for my children? Do you give me orders about the work of my hand? I'm the one who made the earth and created people to live on it. With my hands, I stretched out the heavens. All the stars are at my command. I will raise up Cyrus to fulfill my righteous purpose, and I will guide his actions. He will restore my city and free my captive people without seeking a reward. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. For me, I question God's plan all the time. Every second of every day, it seems like sometimes. And I kind of felt like, as I was reading that one day, that God just kind of looked at me and said, how dare you question what I'm doing in your life? I don't know if he said it with that tone of voice or not, but I was listening to Matt Chandler this morning, and he said, you know, we kind of have these two opinions of God. We either think of the God of Nickelodeon, or we think of the God of HBO, where the God of Nickelodeon, he's always pleased, and he's always patting us on the back and saying, I love you so much. You know, and the God of HBO is like Braveheart, and he's like slashing and conquering and these kind of things, you know. God's kind of both of those things. And for me, really, I felt like God was saying, how dare you question my plan? I cried a lot. So, just kind of bear with me on that. But I thought about how, really, seriously, for real, okay, I get so sick and tired of hearing people tell unmarrieds from all ages, I know God has somebody for you. You really don't. You really don't. And you're not doing anybody any favors by telling them that they are, that you are, or you know, or that there is somebody or whatever. Let me tell you how you can do somebody some favors, okay? You can look at them and you can say, I don't have any idea what God's got planned for your life, but I know he's got a plan. And I know it was laid from the foundation of the world. And he knows your name. And he knows your heartbeat. And he knows every hair on your head. And I think, if we're, if, I mean, we're a different kind of church. And this is my opinion. I'm not your pastor. You don't have to do what I say. But what if we really began to tell each other, whatever age, but especially as people were growing up, what if we really began to say, you don't get to choose where you go to college. You don't get to choose where you work. You don't get to choose who you marry. You don't get to choose where you live. You don't get to choose whether or not you go to college. If you get a degree, what kind of degree it is. If you have children, if you don't have children, you don't get to choose what kind of car you drive. You don't get to choose whether or not you take that promotion at work. You don't get to choose where you live, where you move. You don't get to choose. God gets to choose. And what if we encourage them 
to say, my first desire is to make sure his desires are my desires. And those of you who are my age and you've made the same mistakes that I've made or tried to figure things out on your own, think about how different our lives would be if somebody, when I was a teenager, had said, you know, I don't know if you're going to get married, but I know God's got a plan. We probably, literally, I'm not even kidding, I'm 38, I've never been engaged. I probably would not have been wedding dress shopping if somebody had said, I don't know if you're going to get married, but I know God's got a plan. So why don't we ask him? Let's ask him first. God is so smart. I mean, he really is. We joke about that all the time. God is so smart. He, somebody should put that on Twitter. You know, but he really is. He really does have the answer. That's the other thing. I think I, I doubted for so long that God even had the answer to start with. But he really does. Like, and stupid stuff. You know, why something doesn't work. Or, what, I'm not kidding you. You're going to call me a liar. I'm not even kidding. I, so I lost the memory card of the podcast from Sunday. Couldn't find it anywhere. And so the only place I knew it had to be was back here somewhere. So I came in here. Couldn't find it. It wasn't up there. I was like, and I said, Lord, where, where is this memory card? And he said, why don't you look outside? And I went, I didn't drop it outside. He said that I went outside and looked, and it was laying on the ground where I dropped it. So he really does know. He knows where the memory card is. You think he doesn't know what your life's supposed to look like? I'm talking to me. It's okay. I'll listen to it later. I won't. But anyway, I'll look over my notes again. But I think about how, how, I'm so thirsty. Just hang on a second. God had a plan for Joseph's life the entire time. In prison, when he was a little kid, when he was growing up, God had a plan the whole time. He had a plan for Paul. I'm, the same day that I read Isaiah 45, I looked at Ephesians chapter 2. So, Ephesians chapter 3, actually. So, if you've got a Bible, look at Ephesians chapter 3. If you don't, just look up there. So, it really took about, it's been four weeks that God's just kind of been working this out. And to kind of set this up, the book of Ephesians is, is kind of short, but it summarizes, the first half of Ephesians summarizes God's good news to the Gentiles, which we are. That's what I need you to know right now. And then the end of it kind of gives specific instructions on how believers should live in response to that, okay? So Ephesians chapter 2 Paul's laying out basically the plan of salvation in a way. So he, he says things like, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. And don't forget that you Gentiles, that's us, used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it only affected their bodies and not their hearts. So they've got a religion. It's not even affecting their hearts and yet somehow they were prideful about it. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you've been united with Christ. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're citizens along with all of God's holy people. You're members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone of Jesus Christ himself. We're carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. 
Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of his dwelling where God's spirit, God lives by his spirit. So Paul's, it's almost overwhelming. If you sat down, which I would encourage you to do, just with the book of Ephesians and kind of go line by line and say, okay, what does this mean? What does it say? What does it mean for me? But Paul goes through all of this about all that God has done to bring us into part of his family. And he gets to Ephesians chapter 3 and he says, When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles. And then he kind of stops and he says, hang on a second. Because there's, there's a, a great piece of this puzzle that Paul wants you to understand. And he says, listen, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me a special, the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I've written, you'll understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he's revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles, that's us, because we weren't born as an Israelite. We were not Jewish, born Jewish. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body. And both enjoy the promise of blessing because they belong to Jesus Christ. By God's grace and mighty power, I've been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I'm the least deserving of all God's people. He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone the mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in this, in all this, was to use the church, that's us, to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. That means you and I got salvation, and God uses the church to display to the universe who he is. If Paul doesn't get that message to take to the Gentiles, we don't get salvation. We're Gentiles. God's got a plan for your life that involved Paul 2,000 years ago. And this church is part of that too. It says, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. And Paul, again, he says, when I think of all this, all that, because we were dead in our disobedience and our sin, because we were living apart from Christ, now we've been united with Christ. We're once we're far away, but now we've been brought near. He has an eternal plan. He says, I fall to my knees. God, get So you're just going to have to bear with me. So... He just says, I fall to my knees. And pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I 
pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. I thought about how we've, been, we've spent 87 weeks you know, studying the this, this story of Joseph because this church really isn't about giving you four points of self-help items that you can go home and try to apply them. We're about you really knowing God's word because it's the only thing that's going to change your life. Because when you know it, then you've got those deep roots that your life can hold on to because you've seen somebody else's life. You know what their life looked like walking with Christ. And you may have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who's able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or imagine. I don't know what your life's going to look like. I don't know who you're going to marry. I don't know if you're going to get married. I don't know if you're married. You know, I thought about this too. So I'm, there are nights when I'm at home and I'm so lonely, my chest hurts because there's not somebody beside me. There's some of you probably in this room who are just as lonely and you're laying beside somebody because that person can't fulfill you like that. That's Christ. That's Christ who says... Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or imagine. You people right here, God's got a plan for your life that is infinitely more than you could ever ask or imagine. And you people out there, he's got that same plan for you too. It's not too late. You didn't mess up too much. You didn't ruin it. My favorite, my favorite biblical story, favorite all time, the one I could read a million times and have come pretty close, is immediately after the resurrection. And Mary goes, Mary, uh, Mary Magdalene, she goes to the tomb and she looks inside and Jesus' body's gone and I kind of think everybody else has already left and she's still there and she's crying. It's early in the morning and so it's probably dark. You know, when you cry, you can't see good because your mascara's all running. And so Jesus walks up and she doesn't realize that it's him. And uh, he says to her, why are you crying? Or Angel actually asked that first. Why are you crying? He asked that second. So she looks at him and she says, if you'll just tell me where you put him, She says, if you'll just tell me where you put him, I'll go get him. 
And I tried to kind of put myself in her, her spot. She just wanted to be close to him again. Four boxes of Kleenexes. I can't get to any of them. Um, and I thought about the desperation. You know, I couldn't pick up a man and bring him back in here if I had to. But she was so desperate to just be with him again, to take care of him. That was her Lord for her to say, if you'll just, you know, I won't tell anybody. If you'll just tell me where you put him, I'll go get him. I'll bring him back here myself. And Jesus just says her name. He just says, Mary. And she knew instantly who he was. And I kind of wish he had said, Mary, I told you I had a plan. I had a plan the whole time. Because she knew that was the story. She knew she had been with him. She knew that he was going to raise from the dead. But that moment, it seemed like all hope was lost. And then he called her name. Of all the things I look forward to in heaven, that moment. Golly, when I get to hear him say my name. He knows your name. And he's got a plan for your life, even if it looks a lot different from what your plan for your life is. And it's not too late. God, I thank you so much that you have a plan. And I am truly sorry that I ever doubted you. God, you have a plan for each one of us. And that may look exactly like what we think it's going to, or it may look completely different. I don't know. Dating is not bad. Marriage is not bad. God, we just want to be in line with who you are at all costs. So God, I pray in these moments that we will truly die to self. God, that we'll just say, here I am. And you just do whatever you want to do with me. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.